They're the same one. And um, it's by Greg Kokel, who's the president of the uh, organization called Standard Reason. And it's called uh, Tactics, a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. This book is really rare in the genre of apologetic literature because he provides something that I haven't come across, and that is an actual strategy and examples of how to dialogue with people um, in very different ways that is both uh, you know, winsome, it's gracious, it's uh, concise, and um, it, it's, um, it's an incredible book. I really want to encourage you. Uh, if any of you want to get this one, I think, how much, how much were they? Ten bucks each? Okay, so ten bucks each. I'm not making any money off of this. Um, so, yeah, we, we brought it from our church, so we had them, and they're still there, so. I don't have a website, no, but I have an email. Um, anyway, let's pray. Lord, your word says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as creator of everything, would you come now by your spirit and minister to us the life of Christ? Would you help me please be clear, be sensitive to what you're doing tonight and helpful. May my lips be seasoned as they were with salt so that I might know how to respond to each person. And I give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In the name of our risen King, Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome to session two of Faith Has Its Reasons. And these are not my prescription glasses. I left my glasses at home. So I don't know if I'm even going to use these. God help me. Anyway, tonight we want to talk about the question, the God question. Does God exist? Um, last week, um, we talked about uh, belief systems and we, we established that all humans have beliefs. It's part of what it is to be a human being. That all beliefs are also not created equal. Uh, for example, square circles can't be true even though you believe in them. Um, thirdly, that logic is a tremendous aid to discovering uh, what is true. And uh, I made a distinction between subjective truth and objective truth and how differentiating between the two helps us understand a knowledge truth claim. I also pointed out that human beings hold beliefs um, for many different reasons. Maybe it was the way they grew up. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's part of the culture, uh, part of their family, uh, upbringing, uh, or even for psychological reasons. 
Uh, and lastly, I talked about that the most important aspect of any belief system, which includes Christianity, is the issue of truth. So last week we, we, we dealt with, you know, do, do I have to believe anything at all? Well, yeah, everybody believes something. And key to our beliefs is truth. And we, we establish that we can get at the truth, that truth is knowable. And um, today, or tonight, I want to talk about the issue of God. Because when we're talking about the God question, it's directly linked to our view of reality. When we come to this question of God's existence, we're looking into what philosophers call the big questions of life. Um, in fact, our views of reality concerning what is right, what is true, what is valuable, flow significantly from our view of God. What we think God is, who he is, or is it an it, or is there a God at all? So when we're dealing with the God question, not only are we looking at, not only is it linked to our view of ultimate reality, but it's also linked to something that's really critical, and that is when we're asking the God question, we want to be clear on what we're saying when we're God-talking, if you would. Um, Whenever we ask the question, how do I know that God exists, for example, um, we must ask for the meaning of the term that's being used so that we don't do what so often happens, is talk past each other in conversation, um, which is quite unfulfilling and very frustrating. Um, so when we're, we're dealing with the God question in our culture, a lot of people are not referring to the God of Scripture when they are talking about God. And that's important to, to keep in mind. Um, so tonight I want to deal with this God question, specifically, you know, does God exist? And I want to deal with three things, three big ideas. First of all, worldviews. Secondly, deferring views of God. And thirdly, three ways of arguing for God's existence. Now, I want you to understand that in preparing for the class, there's just so much uh, in this topic. And, and I was try- I'm trying to tailor make it to what I think will be, um, you know, will stretch you a little bit, but will also help you and uh, enrich your own personal walk with Christ and also uh, um, um, equip you in your evangelism, in reaching out to your friends and neighbors uh, and co-workers, etc. So first of all, worldviews. What are they and uh, why are they so important? I want to tell you a story here. There's the wife of a man who thought he was dead and she was trying to convince her husband that he was actually... Uh, who thought he was dead and she was trying to convince her husband, that he was actually alive. Regardless of her persuasions, the man, her husband, would not be convinced otherwise. She eventually took him to the doctor who assured him that he was alive. Nothing worked. It occurred to the doctor to get the man to agree that dead men don't bleed. Right? So he pricked his finger with a needle and there was the evidence. Or so he thought. The man was certain that he was dead, But the fact was that his finger was bleeding. It was obvious. For many days after this doctor's visit, the man was saddened because his certainty of the fact he was dead was not in touch with reality. He returned to the doctor and exclaimed, Good Lord, dead men do bleed after all. 
at the end of the day, this man's view of life was so dear to him that the facts did not matter. And so when we're talking about worldviews and worldview matters, the reason worldviews matter is this. They affect how we live. They affect how we make judgments. They affect um, whether we will go this way in our lives or that way. This way being bad, this way being good. But so when you're dealing with an individual whose worldview is immune to being revised as this dead men do bleed, this guy. Um, what we are failing to do if we are following this example is we are failing to live a life of integrity, a life where the truth matters even if it hurts. And so as disciples of Christ, this cannot be the case in our lives. So the truth question okay, cuts both ways. It heals us and it hurts us. Uh, But herein, our brokenness is evident. For when we are honest with ourselves, at times we also don't want our view to be shown lacking when confronted with the facts. I I grew up in a home where for my dad, I love my dad, I miss my dad. He, he, He passed away. But for my dad, the facts didn't matter. He had to win the argument. He had to be right. That is not the way believers ought to conduct their lives. So that, that, that our brokenness, we see it when we're confronted with the facts and we don't want to budge. That's not good. Also, the dead man's challenge is our challenge. When we're receiving counsel that requires us to adjust, for example, our positions in life and the resulting changes that are demanded of us, sometimes it's just quite frankly hard to hear. We don't mind being praised, but we don't like being corrected. It's been my experience. Most human beings, you know, at least initially flinch at, you know, oh, God, I, need, I was wrong. I need to be corrected. Uh, you know, children experience that with their parents. Spouses experience that with spouses. Anybody experience that with your spouse where your spouse is calling you out on something and you know, oh, this isn't going to be good. Okay. But all, even more difficult. Even more difficult is this, when we do hear counsel that we've heard before and we find it annoying, it's hostile, it's dull, uh, it's silly or something even much worse, too often what happens is familiarity breeds contempt. Okay, So we need to be in touch with our, I love what Francis Schaeffer said, his ma- our mannishness. God has created us in such a way that we have certain bents. And being that we are now in a fallen state, though as Christians we've been redeemed, we haven't been completely redeemed. That's why there's this struggle that we have um, with with sin in in our lives. That's why we have conflicts with uh, other human beings. So when it comes to worldview thinking, we have to be aware that that is not only in us, but it is in everyone with whom we're in contact. So what is a worldview? You know, for centuries, people have been considering, you know, what the meaning of life is. And there's really nothing new under the sun, as Solomon uh, stated in Ecclesiastes. But essentially, all people derive meaning from uh, life based on their worldview, whether they're aware of it or not. 
uh, whether uh, they, 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 they understand it or not. They have a worldview. You have a way you look at life. And um, a way of um, defining a worldview, it is a set of beliefs about the most important issues in life. It's a conceptual scheme by which we either consciously or unconsciously interpret and judge all of reality. So it's the big ideas that we use to judge and interpret what we think to be real. Another way of putting what a worldview is, a worldview is forged. I like this. It's forged out of beliefs that have the most consequence for a comprehensive vision of reality. It is an overall conception of reality that touches on the key areas that philosophy and religion have always addressed. And if you think of a worldview, think of, you know, the right, think of eyeglasses. These, for, you know, a sick purpose, I guess, tonight, aren't the right glasses for me. I see fuzzy through them. Well, our worldviews are much like um, eyeglasses, and the correct worldview is like the glasses that help you focus and get clearer on reality. So the right conceptual scheme, that is, why putting on the right conceptual scheme can have important repercussions in understanding significant ideas and significant events. Trying to make sense out of the puzzles in life. Now, okay, so that's what a worldview is. It's the big ideas. But um, there are also uh, worldview uh, disagreements. And when disagreements exist between societies, it's because there's a clash between competing world views. These clashes occur either individually with, with people where we have friendships that are fractured, perhaps, or, or they're strained. Or uh, these worldviews can clash between nations where often wars uh, result. Now, when we're dealing with worldviews and uh, disagreements in worldviews, um, some some worldviews have more in common than others. For example, um, certain worldviews have similarities uh, on most issues. For example, um, in uh, monotheism, you have Christianity, Judaism, and Islam that agree that there is one transcendent God. So there is a similarity, even though the religions are different, they still agree on that one thing. There's a similarity there. Now, when you have dissimilarities, you have a dissimilarity. For example, uh, Christians believe in the resurrection and Hindus uh, believe in reincarnation. So there's more dissimilarity. In other words, what happens when you die? And then there's the, the, the fact that there's uh, places where there is no agreement at all where a believer, Christians believe that, um, that God exists. The exact opposite is true of the atheists. Atheists believe that God does not exist. There is no God. Okay? So, when we're dealing with worldviews, last week I kind of mentioned them and uh, you guys jotted them uh, down. But tonight we're going to take a little bit more time and talk about um, aspects of a worldview. What, in fact, are they? And first of all, well, there, there, there's essentially five components 
to um, a worldview. And the first one is a theological component. In other words, your view of God. And it is the most important aspect of your worldview. Where you affirm or deny God exists or he doesn't exist. Where you affirm that he is either personal or impersonal. And, um, you know, the fact that, you know, let's take, for example, uh, Hinduism versus Christianity. We have very different views of God. We have different views of the afterlife, uh, etc. But, but the bottom line is that human beings are incurably religious. They just are. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what culture you go to. People believe in something. People have to worship something. Why? Well, according to Scripture, according to the historic Christian faith, God created us in His image. And as Creator, He owns everything. And He created in such a, us in such a way that we are made to worship. And if we do not worship the Creator, we will worship the creature. There is no in-between. There is no neutrality. We are going to Worship something. What is worship? It is making something, which is a good thing. Well, what is idolatry? It is Idolatry is this, which is the worship of something that is good, but we make it ultimate. And by making it ultimate, it becomes bad. Okay, we can do that with food. We can do that with sex. We can do that with relationships. We can do that with work. Make sense? So when you're dealing with um, your, your worldview, one aspect is the theological one. And that one is, you know, who is God? What is God? Who or what is God? Secondly, there is a metaphysical aspect. And this metaphysics deals with ultimate reality. Uh, it, it, it asks the question, what is X? What is man? For example, chapter 8 of Psalms that the psalmist asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take thought of him? That's a metaphysical question. Metaphysics deals with the, the whole notion of being. What does it mean to exist? What is ultimate reality? What is the essence, for example? What makes, for example, Trish a human being and, and Cheeks which is our cockatiel, a bird. Their essence, their nature is different. Um, so there's also not just a metaphysical aspect, but there's also an epistemolo- uh, epistemological aspect. And epistemology has to do with our knowledge, how we know what we know. Everybody makes truth claims. We all make truth claims. But backing up those truth claims is an entirely different uh, story. And so... Um, we, we want to understand, for example, when we're dealing with epistemological issues, how we know what we know, uh, we differentiate between, for example, how do I know that I had coffee this morning as opposed to how do I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. There, it's a different type of a knowledge claim, and that is um, what epistemology looks at. Or how can we know that this life is an illusion as opposed to know that it is actually real? I mean, are we in the Matrix? I mean, you watch the Matrix, you see the Matrix. You know, you know, is this real? You know, did I actually have noodles? Was that a real experience or am I plugged in? Okay. Um, anyway, that's third. Fourth, there's also an ethical aspect to 
um, our worldviews. That is, we look at um, what we ought and ought not do. So ethics deals with morals. It deals with our oughtness, how we ought to conduct ourselves uh, in this life. For example, why can't I have an abortion? It's my body is, is a question that many women uh, have asked. Or when is it time to take my grandfather off of life support? These are ethical questions. These are uh, 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 the moral dilemmas that, that people experience uh, in the church and out of the church. Because we're human and, and life goes on and we get older and, and we die. And, and lastly, there's an anthropological aspect. And the anthropological aspect deals with humanity. In other words, it deals with the issues that concern people, civilizations, uh, cultures. Uh, how do we classify uh, human beings? Okay, so that is what essentially a worldview is made out of. So there are a worldview is big ideas and these five components make up the structure, if you would, of uh, your worldview. So now I want to turn to deferring views of God. Okay, deferring views of God. Um. You know, as I stated earlier, depending on the audience, the term we use, God, takes on different meanings. And for the Christian, the biblical worldview informs, or it should inform, that we look at reality through the lenses of the God of the Bible. He is the basis for all truth, all beauty, all goodness. And so I want to look at a chart of deferring views on ultimate reality held to be true. And when people hold something to be true, they believe it. They trust it, don't they? We do. So, but before we do, I want to point out something C.S. Lewis said. Now, C.S. Lewis is arguably one of the most influential Christian thinkers of the 20th century. Uh, He was an Oxford University professor and a former atheist who converted to Christianity Uh, He had a tremendous ability of expressing deep, profound truths in simple language. And he did this either through radio, children's books, and even through books geared toward adults, such as, you know, the classic one is uh, Mere Christianity. Have any of you ever read the book Mere Christianity? It's a fantastic read. I I mean, that man was a a real gift uh, to uh, Western culture, to the church. And um, uh, because of the many things, but one of the things he could do is he could take a profound truth and just condense it and give it out in a way that was accessible. That is very difficult to do. That is exceedingly difficult to do. But in his book, The Weight of Glory and Other Addresses, he says something that to me is astounding. He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Hear what he's saying? I think what he's alluding to is that in light of the Christian worldview, he's able to make sense out of reality in a way that as an atheist, he could not before. He just couldn't do it. He sees the world through different glasses, as I've argued uh, before and in light of the way we come to know truth not all truth claims are created equal 
nor are all glasses created equal. Perfect example here. Okay, but when it comes to uh, 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 you know worldviews, l- let's just look at a little bit um, this chart that I have here, and uh, I'm going to just just for the sake of time, I'm just going to make the distinction between monotheism and atheism. I want to I want you to see the, how you know the differences are so stark. That the fact is, they both can't be true. I really want to bring this home. Because if you have this clear in your mind, when you are conversing with people that are syncretistic, syncretistic uh, um, people, or people that um, give themselves to syncretism, it's the belief that you can pick and choose what you want from different religions and create your own religion. Okay? Um, so, um, we, we don't want you to do that. I want to discourage you from doing that. I want to discourage my friends from doing that, uh, in light of worldview thinking and in light of what this chart reveals, for example, in monotheism in the con- the view of the concept of God, um, you have one transcendent God. Is that up there, Brad? Oh, he didn't put it up. Oh, well. Okay. Ah, there you are. Thank you. I thought you left me. Okay. So in monotheism, you've got the concept of God. It's one transcendent God. At the extreme opposite, where you can't see it. Let me uh, fix that a little bit right there. In atheism, God doesn't exist. He's non-existent. Um, Primary examples of of, of monotheism are, as I said earlier, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Um, primary examples of atheism, you've got secular humanism, which essentially says that man is a measure of all things. Um, Marxism, uh, Confucianism. Okay. Now, note that their, their view of humanity. Note how different it is. Human beings are part of creation, but different in kind from the animals. What are human beings in the atheistic worldview? Just a complex form of matter. All you are is a brain. Okay. What is the main problem of, of humanity? According to Christianity, we've rebelled against God. Atheism, main problem is superstition and you're stupid. You're not thinking clearly. Get rational. All right. So what's the solution? Well, in monotheisms and in Christianity, you need to be justified by faith based on the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. Well, what does the atheist say? No, you need to apply rational thinking to your problems and fix it yourself. Okay? How about the afterlife? Again, the person continues to exist either in heaven or in hell under um, the view of Christianity specifically. But in atheism, you cease to exist. You, You do not exist. So one thing that's clear about this um, uh, this chart is that all truth claims are not equal. All truth claims cannot be um, um, true. 
Uh, now, when it comes to our concept of God, we've looked at the chasm between theism and atheism. And we want to ask ourselves the question, what is God like? How am I going to answer that question? Well, first of all, the way I'm going to answer it, it is going to be informed by my source of authority. Each and every one of us looks to an authority to help us make sense of life. In fact, most of the things that we hold to be true, we believe them and trust them to be true based on authority. For example, one of the reasons that you and I do not use our toothbrush to clean both our teeth and the toilet bowl is because science has informed us that there are a lot of nasty things we can't see, but they're there. So we trust them to be true. See, understand what I'm saying? Um, so de- depending on our source of authority, where we get our facts from, the answers we come to uh, will inevitably be different. They're going to be varied. That's why understanding what truth is and how to get at what uh, is real is so critical. And I'm telling you this, deception's friend is slothful mind. Deception's friend is slothful's mind. We cannot afford to be lazy mentally when it comes to issues of truth. I want to encourage you, do not let your heart grow um, discouraged because you don't understand something. Even some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, don't get discouraged. Just stick with it. You're being exposed. And the more you're exposed, the more you start understanding any discipline, any kind of language. And nothing is different here. So the chart demonstrates that worldviews matter because when it comes to the big questions of, you know, God, humanity, what are our primary problems? What are the consequent solutions? Is there a life after death? Our worldview will inform responses to those huge questions. Can, can you see that? Okay. So, as believers, we've got opportunities. We've got opportunities to do cross-cultural missions in our backyard. Do any of you live in an apartment complex here? I do. Okay. Um, what, what nationalities are in the apartment complex that you can readily see? Mexican-American. Caucasians. Are, are there any um, Indians? People from India? No? Okay. In my apartment complex, got people from India. We got people from India. We got people from Europe. Um, you know, we have people from Brazil. A lot of Brazilians where we live in Torrance. And so what happens is this. If we um, uh, do our work well in understanding worldviews, uh, what it'll what will happen is we will be able to more um, skillfully navigate 
in our conversations with people. Because we'll know, oh, this person believes, this person has some kind of a Hinduistic uh, view where, you know, life is just an illusion. This is not real. So you pick up on that and you go, oh. Oh, and they're an engineer. Engineers make distinctions every single day, you know, every single moment of their lives. In fact, all humans do. But the fact of the matter is, if you remove distinctions from trying to make sense of the world, you can't make sense of the world. You can't. I know I'm here and you're there. How about that, Heidi? I'm here, you're not here, I'm here, you're there. I just made a distinction. Okay? So the importance of this topic, and specifically, you know, when it comes to knowing your Bible, Christian, when it comes to studying uh, theology, which is studying Bibles uh, and uh, what the what the church has historically held and where the differences in the church in the last 2,000 years are concerning, uh, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, concerning the incarnation of Christ, concerning the virgin birth, uh, justification by faith. What's the difference between justification by faith and sanctification? Are they different? Are they not? All of these issues, God has gifted us with most teachers. They're dead already. But their writings are with us, and we can learn about these things. But the most important topic we can focus on is our understanding of who God is. If we understand and and are clearer on the, the, the issue of God's nature and character, it will govern the way we read the Bible it will keep us from making some very, very bad deductions um, and uh, so forth. So, anyway, uh, now let's look at, for example, cultural examples of the concept of God. And I've got three down here that I, that I borrowed from um, D.A. Carson, which is the God who is there. Finding Your Place in God's Story. Get this book. This book is a great read on the whole unfolding of the message of the Bible. It really is. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, the three examples that he gives are, number one, a super soft grandfather, a spectacularly great being, and a mutual back-scratching being. So, first of all, uh, and like I've said, our theology, our view of, of, of God is directly... Um, uh, no, our view of God dictates our theology and our theology will dictate how we live. So first of all, some people look at God as a super soft grandfather. And that is that God is seen to be this benevolent, this kind of being whose main job is to be nice. Just want to be nice. God's nice. Uh, This kind of being at the end of the day is, is harmless and bound to forgive any offense. Uh, God's job is to forgive, is this view. And uh, therefore, we, we do not need to fear him at all. So here, God's role is essentially to coddle you and me. This is a very man-centered notion. It is idolatrous. And in some sectors of the church, it's, it's, it's there and it's, it's really hurting us. Because it's not truth. It's not biblical. Secondly, well, let me go back to this. 
God isn't a super soft grandfather. Uh, Ephesians uh, 2 verse 3 talks about um, that um, we were once objects of wrath. Talking to Christians. As the rest. God's wrath was on us. God hates evil. God is angry every day with the wicked. The Bible teaches that. The Bible also teaches that God is love. That's why he sent Christ to die on our behalf. So that we might come into relationship with him. What's the point here I want to make? God is not one-dimensional and neither are we. So please do not overemphasize one attribute of God over the other. Because God does not. Now, having said that, thank God for his mercy. In fact, there's a song. It's an old vineyard song where the refrain goes, mercy triumphs over judgment. Only, you know, only the blood of Jesus. It's because of the blood of Jesus that mercy has triumphed over judgment. But Jesus bore the wrath of God on our behalf. The other view of God, uh, the other concept of God is that he is a spectacularly great being. You look at the stars, the sun, the moon, the galaxies, you know, and they're so far away. There's no end in sight. And God made them all. He's immeasurably great. Why in the world would he want to have anything to do with me or with you? Right? This view sees that God wound up the universe and let it just go on its own. You know, without any of his input. And right here, what we have is God here is way too removed. Um, he is impersonal. He is unconcerned. This is the God of deism. Okay, This is the deistic notion of God. It's a cold existence. It's a cold existence. But John 1.14 says... Of God, the Son, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a stumbling block to Jews. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. First Corinthians 1. And thirdly, you've got a mutual back-scratching being. And this is the model of polytheistic religions. This is where humans find themselves Bartering with the gods. So let's say you are going to take a sea voyage and Neptune is the god of the sea. You go to the temple of Neptune. You offer the, you offer, offer, you offer the appropriate sacrifices so that he will be appeased and everything will go well with you. You want a safe voyage? You go to, you know, uh, the god of the sea who is Neptune. In other words, let's make a deal. Now, a lot of times, professing Christians have this kind of relationship with God, but they're deceived. This is not how you relate to the God of creation. Okay? This back-scratching kind of God is too needy. This back-scratching type of a God is finite. But the God of Scripture is different. The God of Scripture is radically different. The God of Scripture is ultimate. He is spectacularly great, but He is also near. 
And he is immeasurably loving, but he's also angry. See those two things? Acts 17.24. In Acts 17.24, Paul is ministering, preaching uh, to the Athenians on the Areopagus. And Paul in chapter 17 gives us a fantastic model of how to preach, to bring in the gospel to people that do not know the scriptures. Acts chapter 17, I'm just going to focus on a few of the aspects. Verse 24, here's what he says. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, verse 25, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So first of all, the God of the Bible can't be manipulated. (laughs) Why can't he be manipulated? Because he exists from himself. He is infinite. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. He's self-existent. Everything else in creation is dependent. It is finite. And it is dependent on something or someone, ultimately God, to exist. God is not like that. God is not like the creature. So you know what? He can't be manipulated. Because he is self-existent. Now, his self-existence is self-evident. Job 41.11 says this, Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole of heaven is mine. Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 says this, For every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, For the world is mine and all it contains. So God can't be manipulated. What is Paul saying here in Acts chapter 17? He's not saying that God can't disclose himself in a temple if he chooses to. He he did. He did. In the Old Testament, you see that. Where the glory of the Lord would manifest as the sacrifices were offered. He's not saying that God can't disclose himself in a temple. Instead, what he's saying is that God can't be reduced to a temple to be manipulated and domesticated by a priestly class. These priests allegedly are the ones who can figure out what the gods want. Well, you can't do that with the God of heaven and earth. God depends on nothing or anyone to exist. He is not, as I've said, a contingent being. He is an eternal, infinite being. And instead, um, uh, yeah, instead of uh, Him depending on us, we depend on Him. For example, Romans 11. Romans 11, 33. Through 36 reads, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him 
and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And again, Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3, speaking of God in these last days, speaking to us through his son, says of that very son this, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. This is what Jesus Christ does. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. And it was. That is a lot of power. And the son, the second person of the Trinity, God, the son is upholding over here in according to Hebrews one. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. The fact is God does not need us. I love this. God does not need us as if he needed anything. Why doesn't he need us? Because he provides us everything that we need. You see that? It just takes, it just completely and totally obliterates human pride. You have nothing that God needs. Does that make you feel bad? Does that take away your significance in any way? I hope you don't think that because it doesn't. It actually, it reveals how significant we are to him. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to read out of um, Carson's book. When he's talking about this whole issue of God. Do not misunderstand. The truth that God does not need us does not mean that he does not respond to us. That he cannot delight in us. That he might not be pleased with us. He does respond to us, but he responds not out of some intrinsic need in his own being or character, but out of the entire volition of his perfections and will. He interacts with us not because he does not foresee the future, not because he has let things get out of control, not because he has abandoned his sovereignty, not because he never was sovereign, not because he is psychologically damaged, not because he needs something, but out of the perfections of all that he is with all of his characteristics and attributes, he always responds in line with all of his attributes. He is never less than God. God doesn't need us. We need Him. We are finite. He is infinite. Consider Jesus' words here. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Think of that. The knowledge of God, of the little tiny details of all of creation. And He's comparing us Telling us, you're more important. You're more important. You're more important than the birds. And the birds are important. God loves his creation. But in creation, there is an order of value. And it is only human beings that were created in God's image, not angels. We are not to serve angels. Angels are created to minister the word of God to us who are heirs of salvation. 
Angels are never to be worshipped. Nor are human beings. Only God is. That is why when John falls down in the book of Revelation. And the angel says to him, man, get up. I'm a servant like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. God is intensely personal. God is intensely relational. But he can't be bartered with. So how do we have a relationship with a God who can't be manipulated, who can't be bartered with, who doesn't have any needs? And the answer is the only way we're going to have a relationship with that kind of a God is through his sovereign grace alone. That is it. That is it. And that is good news. So, our view of God is never neutral. I pointed that out uh, as we looked at the chart. Um, you know, as we, as we considered uh, the difference between monotheism and atheism, those views are exactly opposed to each other. Um, clearly, both views may be wrong. For the sake of argument, they may be wrong. One of them may be right, but definitely both can't be right because they contradict each other. Okay? So our view of God will also inform the other questions that concern us. For example, what is man? What is humanity? Are we creatures or accidents? What's our greatest problem? Is it rebelling against God? Or is our greatest problem uh, superstition and irrational thinking? Okay? Uh, how do we go about you know, fixing the problem? What's the solution? Is it Jesus Christ? Or is it just you know, get smarter? Don't be so stupid. You know, and when we're dealing with the afterlife, is there really a heaven or hell or do we cease to exist? This stuff really matters. And lastly, our concept of God always is informed by um, the sources of authority we come under. Always. What we hold to be true is what we submit to. And... um, and so that's, that's all I have to say about that. Why don't we take a break, okay? And if you want to field questions, if you have any, or maybe clarify something I said that you, you weren't clear on. Yes, question. 